This evening we are looking at uh, chapter 8 of the book of Ezra and we are in session number 8 as well. In our series of studies on uh, how God was with the children of Israel. And that's why we looked at God at the center, the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. And uh, just to give you a, a quick you know, overview of what has happened thus far, the first six chapters detailed the work of Zerubbabel as he returned with people from the Babylonian exile. And then from chapter 7 through 10, it offers the story of Ezra, who came much, much later. Okay. <laughs> so we looked at last week that God blesses our lives. And what are the things that are necessary for God's hand to be upon our lives? This week, we are looking at the work that God blesses. The first slide, the work that God blesses. And this chapter gives us the details, not about a large number that came back. First group, we said 50,000. Now it's only around 5,000 that have come back, you know, including women and children, were around 5,000 if you do some calculations. But the key principle over here is God expects us to be involved in his work. And it's in us that which God has called us to do. God is not calling us to do that which he has uh, now not given us uh, a calling or abilities or gifts, but God has given different gifts and abilities and a specific calling to each one of us, and we are responsible for that. If we say, no, I'm not going to do it, you know, then God is not delighted in it. So if we looked at last week on the hand of the Lord on us, you know, how is it going to be? How will God bless us? And we looked at the importance of the word of God our preparation in the word, if that's our heart's desire, then God's blessing is there. This week, we're looking at it a little more specifically into the work that God has given to us. And we need to ask ourselves, are we sure of what God has called us to do? Okay, We all want God's blessing upon us, but God also wants to bless the work that he has entrusted to us. Each one of us is here on earth for a purpose. And each one of us is given different gifts for a purpose. And we need to ask ourselves, are we responding to that which God has given to us? Okay. So in this particular chapter, chapter 8, there are three main elements. Elements. The first is the gathering of the Levites. You know, we look at it, you know, they suddenly found out, hey, there were no Levites. So they had to go back and get some. Levi. The second aspect we look at in this chapter is about you know, all the gold, the silver, and the utensils, all that was necessary which they were bringing back from Babylon, and you know, the accounting and the accountability of that. And the third aspect is of the journey itself. To take that long journey of four to five months with all this uh, you know, precious and you know, valuable high. Uh, expensive and uh, goods, it was definitely a dangerous task. But how again the hand of the Lord was upon them. So this is the overall content of chapter 
eight. Let's get into that passage this evening, verse by verse. So first eight, 14 verses is building a team, building a team. And if you notice, you know, this particular listing of people is a little similar to chapter 2, where he made a listing, a genealogy, a listing of all the family heads and the people who came in from there. And we looked at the importance of that you know, for the Jews and also for us. And here again, you have this listing that is there, you know, specifically with the heads of the people, heads of the tribes, their emphasis and their responsibility for it. Okay, So you have in these 14 verses, first of all, the heads of all the households. If you notice in verse 1, it says, now these are the heads of their father's households and the genealogical enrollment of those who went up with me <coughs> from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes. Okay. And he says these are the listing of the heads. Okay. And the first head is the descendants of the priestly and royal families in Israel. Okay. Then the names of the rest of the Jews follow. And if you compare this list you know, with the list in chapter 2, we find that those who accompanied Ezra in this second grouping were mainly the relatives of those Jews who had returned around 60 to 80 years earlier. Maybe you know, they have thought about it and said, hey, now we must go. Or maybe they've got some news about what's happening in Jerusalem. So primarily, the second group that goes in is those who were related, those who were related to already that first group. The only exception is Joab, who is mentioned in verse 9. So when you're looking at this listing itself with the heads of families, the emphasis on the family heads reminds us of the great responsibility of being head of our own families. And Ezra's carefulness about registering each family should be a challenge for us today to take up the importance of leadership in the home. Verses 2 to 14 gives us the full list. And if you add all the male members of the group together, it's a total of at least 1,496 men in the group. And if you add on an estimated number of women and children, which we find were there in verse 21, we can surmise that the total number of the party coming with Ezra in the days of King Artaxerxes would have been somewhere between 5,000 to 6,000 you know, people. Okay? Now, this is comparatively very small group compared to the first one. But in comparison with the total number who actually came out of you know, Egypt, and now who are still remaining in Egypt, this was still a smaller group. It was still a smaller group. So now this group has started out. Okay, <laughs> This group of around 5,000 people have started out. And then in verse 15, he says, you know, Now I assemble them at the river that runs to Ahava, where we camped for three days. Okay, So they've taken that you know, journey a journey of around four to five months, you know, and they have been here, suddenly maybe Ezra thinks about the temple. 
things about you know who we would require and he says we definitely we require a lot of you know levites those individuals who are specifically given the tasks for the regular upkeep of the temple and maybe he noticed we inquired for them maybe and found hey there were no levites okay so levites had to be recruited so that's what we read in verses 15 to 20 recruiting missing workers and in 15 to 17 he addresses this problem he addresses this problem now it is again important when you're looking at you know ezra as a leader over here okay he doesn't give up he sees the problem and he's willing to address the problem okay he was willing to address the problem he says they met together and then he says when i observed the people and the priests i did not find any levites there so he's able to spot the problem he's able to see you know 5000 people you know he's able to see recognize and say hey there is no levites you know so he is able to observe this gap okay now look at uh, ezra's situation he has all the funds the gold silver everything is there but now suddenly he realizes there are no people do we come across situation like that oftentimes it's much more easier to get material help than actual physical manpower help isn't it a lot of people when it comes to the service in the kingdom they would say okay here take my offering okay i will give you i will support i will do this i will do that but don't ask me to come and do it now that may be the problem here with the levites you know they thought maybe as long as you know they have all these things sufficient it is not really essential for us to go but these individuals were definitely required they were definitely required because the levites were the ones who kept the outer gates of the temple okay and maybe the levites thought hey there are no gates over there you know they would have got information there are no gates that have been set up so what's the point of me doing the work you know going there but also the levites were the ones who were keeping the whose job was to keep the temple and the surroundings of the temple clean they would make sure that the utensils were cleansed and they were the ones who will keep watch over the temple guards for the temple so they did have a role to play if there were no levites who is going to look after all these jobs that were required so for whatever reasons they decided to stay back ezra the deficiency and then what did he do he organized a team of recruiters he himself did not go and you know pull them back you know give them a warning or give them you know peace of his mind no he organized a team of recruiters who are part of these recruiters we find first of all leading men he says i sent for eliazar ariel shamaya elnathan jareb elnathan nathan and uh, zechariah and mishulan leading men leading men so these are all like the priests of that particular community then who are there so he gets them together and says hey i'm assigning you the responsibility he delegates the job to them and say i want you to go and get these people also if you notice in that list you have along with the leaders okay leading men we have also teachers and it says and for joarib and elnathan teachers teachers okay 
So he recognizes, he is looking forward to, here's the job, who are the people, what's the manpower that's required. So he says, definitely, we require the Levites. You know? And also, we require teachers, because now the word of the Lord has to be taught to them. So he says, okay, teachers, here are these individuals, he sends them along as well. And then he orders what their job would be, okay? He orders the desired outcome. What is the outcome? I want you to get these guys back. In other words, you know, he doesn't give them options. You and plead with them. He says, no, this is my job. My job to you is go speak to them. And I am expecting that when you come back, they will come back with you. So this is his specific agenda. He says, and I told them what to say to Ido and his brothers, the temple servants at the place in Kasifia, that is to bring ministers to us for the house of our God. And what is the outcome? It was highly satisfying. Not only numerically, or not only by numbers, but in the provision of a gifted leader. Okay, You have one person that comes in with Ezra, and Ezra recognizes, hey, all this has happened because the hand of the Lord was upon him. He has seen the problem. By verse 17, you find you know, that you know, the prayer has been answered, the job has been fulfilled. So in verses 18 to 20, there's an appreciation. There's an appreciation. Okay, Verse 18 says, And according to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of insight of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, and his sons and brothers, 18 men. Okay. Now, this was the response. Okay. So he does not say, guys, you did a good job. He does not take credit for himself. He says it is because the good hand of the Lord was upon me. And he specifies, we are able to get a key person, a person of insight, you know, the son of Mahli. Okay. So Ezra gives a testimony for what has happened, and he's telling that what has happened is that 38 Levites have come forward with 220 temple servants. So the mission that Edo was given has been fulfilled, has been fulfilled. But the credit doesn't go to the people. Credit doesn't go to Ezra. Credit actually goes to the Lord. It is because of the Lord. That's good leadership, isn't it? That's genuine leadership. Yes, when you get a job done, you know, when people are patting you maybe, or when you feel you've done a good job. No, don't get take credit for yourself. It is the hand of the Lord. Because God's hand was upon you, that is the reason why you are able to accomplish that which you have accomplished. So, also you have the testimony of the provision of the Merarites, okay? It says in verse 19, And Hashabiah and Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, with his brothers and their sons, twenty men, twenty men. These were the men Ezra found to be Levites. Now, but what is the job of the Merarites? Their job was to carry the temple pieces and furniture, okay, from place to place. And now in the tabernacle, the moving temple was that. That was their job. But now it's a physical temple now. 
And it's not no longer a moving place and no need for movement of another furniture. So what will these guys do? If you look at Nehemiah, you find you know, that some of them became leaders you know, in the district of the province of Judah. You find this in chapter 3 of, and verse 17 on the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 8 and verse 7, they publicly read the law to the people. Chapter 9, 4 onwards, and it speaks about how they led the people in praise and worship. And also in chapter 10 of how they signed the document that Nehemiah had written. So, even though that particular job district's description was no longer relevant, it was no longer needed and necessary, they were able to find other jobs. Now, this is also an important truth. When God provides, okay, don't say, okay, you know, this job is not needed, so I don't have to do any work anymore. No, look for other opportunities, okay. In other words, you know, be open and willing for God to open up doors for you to be involved. If that's your heart, you know, if that's your heart, that's the work that God would bless. That's the individual that God would bless. Not an individual who's sitting back and saying, I don't have any job because all jobs have been taken. No, find a job because in, this, in the kingdom of God, there's definitely availability and the need for workers. Okay. Then thirdly, you also have the additional servants that were given, 220 of them, okay, for which, again, Ezra gives thanks to God. So this is the first section. The first section of Levites, suddenly no longer there. They have stayed behind. So a delegation, recruiters are put in, and then you find God's hand was upon them, and they get the right people. Now, they have to continue on their journey. Verses 12, 21 to 23 speaks about how they sought God's protection and blessing. Okay? Now, remember, it's a long journey. So, the first thing that they did was to fast and pray. That was their key tactic or key strategy. Verse 21 tells us, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava there at the river of Ahava. Now, look at the situation over here, okay? This is a journey of faith. Ezra, 5,000 men, women, and children, okay? They have said their farewells to their people at home. They have got a thousand-mile journey at a walking pace in the heat of the summer of that time. It's going to take around four months. Plus, they are carrying enormous amounts of wealth in terms of goods, gold, and silver. That definitely would make you nervous, isn't it? I wonder if you are in that group of 5,000 people who had to take that journey. Yes, you have said yes. Now, maybe earlier you didn't say yes when the 50,000 went. But now you have said yes. And then when you take that journey, you suddenly realize, hey, so much is there with us. You know? What's going to happen? Because remember, it was not an easy journey. There were definitely robbers on the way. Okay, What was Ezra's response? Okay, He says, let's call a, you know, a fasting and prayer that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. Okay, So this is his first tactic. He says, we will call upon God, okay? 
Then, secondly, if you notice, it is a little interesting part of it. He says, I want you know, you know, depend on the king and his protection, but I will boast in what God can do for me. Okay. Now, this was definitely a, a great big step of faith. Okay. It says in verse 22, For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. You may say, was that a stupid thing to do? You know, or was that a step of faith? Nehemiah, if you notice, asked the king for protection. When he came along after you know, Ezra, when he came along with his people, he asked for protection from the king so that you know, all the goods that came along would be safe. But Ezra over here says, no, I'm not going to ask God. He says, I'm ashamed to request from the king. This is where a question may arise, you know. Why was he ashamed, you know, and why was Nehemiah not ashamed? Remember here, he is going back to establish worship, you know, worship of the one true God with all the sacrifices and all the essentials that were part of worship. And he is actually declaring to the nations around that God Yahweh is the one true God. And this is why we are going to set up worship over that. Now, if he said, God Yahweh is the one true God, and then you ask the king, hey, please provide me police protection. What did the king say? Hey, you're saying that God is far greater and you want my protection? My protection is bigger than your God. So this is why Ezra over here says, no, I'm ashamed to do that. I'm trusting in God. Now, this is a question of debate. Was he right? Was he wrong? And in a what should be our, you know, our response? You know? Should we live a total life of faith? Don't expect anything from people. Don't ask anything. Remember George Mueller, for example. His belief system was ask only God and not any man for any need in the ministry. And God bless that. Now, does that mean we should never ask people for you know, the, the needs to be met? No, there's a place for that also if you look at in the scriptures, because in their giving, there is a blessing for them. So, whatever in our reason, if you notice in that verse, it says, because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So, what Ezra was saying is, we have declared to the king that our God is able to protect us. Okay. Now, this was not you know, like you know, a speedy decision. This was not a hasty decision. This was not you know, like you know, a risk that he was taking. No, he has thought it over. He has said, we are declaring before this king that our God is able. Now, once he has done that before the king, so he recognizes it is not because we have said it, you know, so... We don't want to be put in a bad light. But he says, no, we are going to trust him to fulfill that which has been promised. So that is why in verse 23, it says, so we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter. Okay. Seeking God successfully as the providential triumph. The emphasis was not, I made a public declaration, so I expect God to answer it. No, no he says, we are trusting God. 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they publicly declared, our God is able. Okay? Now, that is what Ezra was doing over here. And then you have the answer to prayer where it says, and he listened to our entreaty. Now, obviously, Ezra is writing this after it was fulfilled. But imagine if you are in this position of Ezra, 5,000 people under your care, and you have made this testimony before the king that our God is far greater than anyone, and he is able to do this for us. Okay. Responded. Would there have been fear? Would there have been doubts you know, when you are taking this step? Think also if you are one of the 5,000 people. And you know, Ezra comes and says, okay, we are not going to ask for any protection because this is what I have told the king. What would your reaction be? Would you say, why should Ezra make a statement like that you know, and put all our lives in jeopardy? No, no, if you notice, both Ezra and the people trusted in God, trusted in God. And God proved himself, which says, and he listened to our entreaty. He listened to our entreaty. So whatever feelings may have gone on at that particular point of time, once they threw themselves upon the Lord and said, Lord, we are trusting you, God answered their prayer. Okay. So now the prayer has been answered, you know, and then the scripture tells us on their journey. Now remember the prayer has been answered after they have reached there. Okay. So now the continuing part of the journey comes in. Then it says in verse 24, then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and with them 10 of their brothers. So he now gives them responsibilities. He says, oh, all these resources that have been given, we need to take good care of it. This has been entrusted to us. So as a result, this has to be looked after. So key leaders are assigned the accountability of stewardship. Now, how was this done? Okay. You have in verses 25 to 27 a summary of this accountability where precious resources you know, need faithful stewarding. So there's a summary given in these verses about how this was done, of how accountability factor was put in, of how looking after stewardship factor was also put in. Verse 25 tells us, and I weighed out to them the silver, the gold, the utensils, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel present had offered. What did Ezra do? He divided the valuables among the leaders of the priests, making each of them responsible for their portion. They were responsible then to watch and keep them until they arrived in Jerusalem and delivered them to the leaders of the priests and the Levites there important principle of accounting and accountability. You know. Now, Ezra did not say, look here, you know, I will keep all of it. No, no, he didn't do that. He says, you know, I'm not going to get one guy to do it. I'm going to get this team to look after it. This is where financial accountability is so important in Christian ministry. If it is only one guy who is doing it, chances are there's going to be problems. If there's a team that is doing it, you know, there is definitely going to be greater accountability. That is how oftentimes when a person in a, in a group in a church collects the offering, accounts for it. There's one group who would maybe count it, another group maybe who would double check it, another group who will verify it 
and then note it down. It is not done by the pastor. It is not done by one person, you know, so that there is a greater accountability factor that is there. Now, if it is not there, this is why you will hear about individuals who swindle the church or swindle the organization because nobody knew where the money went, okay? We need to be faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So just as much as Ezra faithfully, you know, you know, gave it, you know, to these different, different people, accounted for it, gave them, this is how much I'm giving you, this is how much I'm giving you. This was definitely a good thing and a good practice that we must follow. Look at the amount that was there, okay, in verses 26 to 27, we have the gold, 650 talents of silver, and silver utensils worth 100 talents, and a 100 gold talents, 20 gold bowls, and a and then you have the two utensils of shiny bronze, precious as gold. So if you even calculate the 650 silver and 100 gold talents together, it would have weighed almost around 30 tons. Huge amounts to be carrying back. You know. So as a result, to whom much is given, much is also called for. And up with a small amount. If you are not faithful in the little, when more comes in, you would not be faithful. Okay. So learn the procedure of accounting and accountability in the little amounts itself. Then when it grows bigger, you would still be faithful. Thirdly, we find that the resources are valuable only to the extent that they are dedicated to the Lord's service. Itself, it is of no use. Okay. Verse 28 says, Then I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the utensils are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord God of your fathers. <clears throat> Look at the three things that he mentions over there. He says, You are holy, and as a result, that which is with you, you know, is holy because it has been set apart for God. We are holy. Because you have been set apart for God. That's what holiness is all about, isn't it? Holiness primarily means being set apart. And this that they have given is not meant for general use. It is meant for the temple. So that has become holy because that has been set apart for God. And as a result, if this is so, watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leading priests, the Levites, and the heads of the fathers' households of, Jer of Israel at Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. He says there is definitely a need then. If this is set apart for God, then that has to be looked after well, accounted well. So if our lives, our bodies, which is the temple of the living God, and we are set apart for God, then Everything that we do with our hands and feet and everything else you know, is set apart for God. That is where the accounting and the accountability factor comes in. Verse 30 then, it speaks about the responsibility has to be accepted. Now, this was Ezra's decision. This is what I'm giving to you. Now, unless it is accepted, then only it becomes your own. Verse 30 tells us so. The priests and the Levites accepted the weighed out silver and gold and the utensils to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Now, it is one thing to have Ezra as a leader, 
But it is also an important thing that these people who came along, they responded, they accepted the instructions. They did not back out and say, no, no, that's not my job, it's someone else's job. They didn't say, hey, this is too big a task for me. They didn't say, you know, this is too scary, I don't want to have so much in my hand. No, no. They trusted God. The God that Ezra trusted, they also trusted and they were willing to accept the responsibility that was given to them. And that is the work of our hands. Oftentimes, you know, maybe in churches or in fellowships, and the leader may give you a particular task to do, and you may back out, you know. Then what happens to the work in the kingdom? The gap or somebody else will do it. And as a result, your responsibility, that which God created you to do, you have disobeyed. The importance of accepting that which is given to you for the kingdom. Then verse 31 to 34, we find about how the mission was accomplished successfully. <laughs> verse 31 says, Then we journeyed from the river Hava on the twelfth of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and ambushes by the way. Then we came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. Okay. Now, the Lord prays, we looked at in the last chapter, even in this chapter, there are three times that this particular phrase comes in. This journey was completed because the hand of the Lord was upon them. Okay. <laughs> then in verses 33 and 34, we have a feedback report of all these tasks to you. Have you kept these things safe? Completion of the responsibility to check whether they had done it faithfully. Okay. So in verse 33, we find on the, on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the utensils were weighed out in the house of our God into the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. So here's a guy in Jerusalem. Here are the chambers in the temple. Now all these guys, when they have come back, now they come into this place and there's a giving, an accounting, a reporting. Okay, you gave me so much, check it out. Okay. That's what the role of Meramoth was. And then with him were other individuals, Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, with them were the Levites, Josabad, and the son of Jeshua, and Nodiah, the son of Binui. And then it says in verse 34, everything was numbered and weighed, and all the weight was recorded at that time. Okay. The journey took around four months. It covered 900 miles. God kept them safe on this dangerous trip. Okay, And as a result, when they verified it, they found everything was correct. Okay, They were faithful stewards. Accountability was done. And they gave God the praise. That is why in 35 and 36, you know, we find there's again a time of rejoicing and worshipping. Worshipping God and seeking ongoing support. Verse 35, the exiles who had come from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats for a sin offering, all as a burnt offering to the Lord, which was part of worship. So they are thanking God. God, we thank you that you have kept us safe. You have brought us here in this, your holy place. And they offer that which God has asked them to do. Then in verse 36, okay, 
It says, then they delivered the king's edicts to the king's satraps and to the governors in the provinces beyond the river, and they supported the people and the house of God. Remember, the king wrote an edict to say, hey, this is what I want you to do. You know, I want you to give them all the support that is necessary. Work should not stop. Take from the treasury. Okay, that was the letter that was given by the king. Now, they don't go first to the king. First, they worship God. First, they say, thank you, God, that you have done this for us. We have accomplished it. And then they offer this letter to the king so that the work can continue on. That is the work of the kingdom. Let's look at now some lessons that we can learn from Ezra from this chapter. First of all, Ezra understood the need for a people-centered view of the work. This is why Ezra mentioned you need people, you need manpower. And then when you find that Levites were missing, you also need go back to check up and get them together. And the fact that he has assigned different, different responsibilities to different, different people, you also recognize his people-centered view of the work. People are important in God's kingdom. And that's why you and I have a role to play. Isaiah understood that and he gave responsibilities, okay? And you and I also should be willing. If you are in leadership, don't do it all on your own. Don't think you can, you're the only one who can do it. Assign responsibilities. And if you are that individual to whom responsibility has been assigned, be faithful to accept it and execute it as well. Secondly, Ezra got the right people together for the work. The right people together for the work. Having a people-centered work is only going to be truly effective if you have the right people. Ezra knew who we wanted. You know, he looked around, hey, Levites were not there, okay? And then he had to step in to get the right people for the job. And then again, the scripture tells us it was the hand of the Lord that was upon us. So much so that Mahli, you know, a man of insight, now, basically it means one who was shrewd and disciplined and loyal. God brought Ezra, God brought Mahali to Ezra in this group that you know, they brought back, the recruiters brought back. So right people are important. But as a leader, you may say, well, anybody can do the job. No, you need those people who are gifted for that particular job. You may say, but I don't have them. Again, trust God. And God is the one. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. So he was able to get the right people, especially Mahli as well. Thirdly, Ezra called them to get their hearts ready for the work ahead. Prepare, verse 21 tells us, then I proclaimed a fast. Fasting and prayer was the key, which was showing that, Lord, this is, we are not doing this on our own. Lord, this is your work and we are trusting in you. Oftentimes in, in our, the ministries that God has given to us, we may think you know, that I can handle it all on my own. You know? Ezra could have said, you know, look, yeah, I know the word so much, so I can handle this job faithfully. No, no. You know, he def, def, did definitely recognize that he had to trust God. Plus also, as a leader, he had to get across to the people that it was not because of his dynamic, charismatic leadership that they could trust him to do the job. No, no. The trust was on God. So as a leader, he got the people 
ready for the work by trusting in God. That is why he proclaimed that fasting and prayer. Number four, Ezra placed his trust in God's providential power for the success of the whole endeavor. Okay, for the whole endeavor. He says, Lord, we are trusting in you. Okay, we are not trusting in the king's protection. We are trusting in you. That is what faith is all about. Yes, you have prayed, okay? And now you have to take that step of faith. And then that's where the journey starts, okay? Now, remember, when the children of Israel you know, came out of the land of Egypt, you have the Red Sea, then you have the River Jordan. But each of those, they had to take that first step. As they took that first step of faith, you find that the waters parted. And that's what God wants us to do. Yes, the importance of prayer is that, but also the importance of once you have trusted God, take that step, take that step, okay? Ezra shows us that lesson. Number five, Ezra divided tasks for the work. He divided tasks for the work. He assigned the leaders responsibilities, okay? Then he distributed that which they had to the leaders, and then he also called upon them to work out a system of stewardship and accountability. Division of labor. Okay, Many hands make light work, isn't it? So Ezra recognized that. He trusted God, but he was also willing to trust people, and he gave them those particular jobs. Sometimes a leader says, I trust in God, but I don't trust people, so I won't give them any jobs. No, no. We need to trust God definitely, but also be willing to divide the work and trust people with that work. Remember, that is what you know, uh, Moses' father-in-law advised him as well. Number six, Ezra saw God's protection in the work. God's protection in the work. You know, we find in verse 31 where it says, We saw the hand of the Lord upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes, ambushes by the way. Okay. He says, yes, it is not that you know, uh, there were no problems. It is not that there were no ambushes. It is not that there was no enemy. He delivered them from those traps. Okay, He delivered them from those traps. Even today, is there going to be warfare? Yes. you know, It is not to say if you are a Christian, life is going to be very easy. Yes, it will be tough. But the scripture tells us that he is still going to protect us in the midst of the enemy, in the midst of the warfare. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, you know, yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, yet thou art with me. That's the assurance of God's protection. And number seven, Ezra gave people the opportunity to testify about God's help in the work. Okay? The people offered that sacrifice as an expression of their thanksgiving. He gave them an opportunity. He says, give thanks to God. He encouraged them to do it. That's a sign of a good leader. He becomes an example, both by word as well as by deed. A couple of important practical lessons before we close this evening. Number one, God doesn't need large numbers. God doesn't need large numbers. Remember, we have been saying that this group had only around 5,000 people, isn't it? You know, not everyone who could return did return. Okay? 
That's an important thing. Not everyone who could return did return. But God used that particular small group. Okay, Five loaves and two fish. 300 you know, you know, people that you know, of the army, that you know, Gideon's army that the Lord used. God is not looking for numbers. God is not looking for numbers. And remember when Jesus, after his three and a half years of ministry here on earth, how many people actually followed after him after three and a half years of ministry by the Lord Jesus himself? In the upper room on the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 people. Only 120 people actually said, we are going to follow you. Many said when Jesus was here on earth, but once he died, that is the end. But on the day of Pentecost, only 120 were there together. Okay, Small group, small numbers is what God is willing to you. So don't look for big numbers. Don't look for big numbers. You know? Don't think because there is a large number that that must be right also. No. God is there in the midst of those small numbers as well. But you and I need to be sure that this is what God wants us to do and be involved in the work that God has assigned us to do. Then God is faithful. He gives the increase. Number two, God needs to use our gifts. Okay, God may not need large numbers, but he chooses to use those you know, who are willing to say yes with the gifts that he has given to them. Okay, Now, the Levites over there, God had given them the gift or the responsibility, if you were to say, that their job was to look after the temple. But these guys were not there. Okay, Continue. Could the job be continued? No, they had to stop. Get those Levites. Again, God answered the prayer. Similarly, even today, the church oftentimes today is not vibrant as it is supposed to be because there are a lot of people who are only warmer, you know, bench warmers, if you were to say, you know, pew warmers. Individuals who just come and go. Individuals who don't recognize that the church is not an institution. Church is a living body. And when you speak about a living body, each one of us has roles to play. Some are hands, some are feet, some are eyes, some are nose. You know. Each one has a role to play and each one is important. God has given different gifts to different people and we have a responsibility to make use of the gifts that God has given to us, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of building the kingdom. And if you are willing to do that, then we will find the increase comes. But if only a few people, and only a few people, if for example, if there's a congregation of 150 to 300 people, only three and four people on that whole group are using their gifts. What happens? The church suffers. The church suffers. So if you want God to bless the work of our hands, we must be willing to identify the gifts that God has given to us and be faithful in doing that which God has called you to do. Don't say, I wish I had this gift or I want to do that. No, that which God has created you for, the gifts that God has given to you, be faithful in using it. Okay. Number three, God calls us to pray. God calls us to pray. Yes, God is not looking for numbers, but God is looking for people who are willing to say yes. And also when people say yes, individuals are willing to say, Lord, it is not because of who I am, but it's because of your grace. It is not because of my abilities, you know, but because of what you have given to me, I offer it to you. Okay. 
And oftentimes that's the expression when we give ourselves to God, isn't it? That which God has given to us, we are offering him back. And we are offering to him back in service. And that is what prayer is all about. Not saying I can do it, but saying, Lord, you make that which I have given to you. As the five loaves and two fish was given to God, as Jesus prayed, as Jesus blessed it and broke it, then it multiplied. So small numbers, gifts that are used, trusting God, God is definitely able to bless that. That's what number four, God blesses the work that seeks to honor him by humble faith. If you are willing to say, God, whatever it is, I'm doing that which you have called me to do, then God is faithful. God is not looking for people who are waiting for something else to happen to be used by God. God says, I've already given you this gift. Make use of that gift. Fifthly, number five, God's work requires workers as well as leaders. Workers as well as leaders. If we have workers, but an inadequate number of leaders, the workers will not have the direction and understanding of the work that is needed. So both are required. You need workers, you need leaders. If God has called you to be a leader, make sure you're a leader. If God has called you to be a worker, don't say, hey, I want to be a leader. I don't want to do this in a type of job. No, both are required. Because remember, in the kingdom of God, no responsibility, no individual is greater than the other. We are what we are purely by the grace of God, isn't it? Number six, God can be trusted to protect our work and our families from the enemy. God can be trusted. Okay. When Ezra prayed and says, Lord, this is what we are praying, trusting you. When he communicated that to the people, the people also trusted that. And then you find that God answered the prayer of the people, that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. The normal pattern is to trust God while thankfully using the means that he has provided. Now, when we pray for protection on the highway, when we are driving, you know, if we don't fasten our seatbelt, you know, if we don't drive carefully, we can't say, God did not answer my prayer. When we are praying for healing, but you say, I'm not going to go to the doctors and take the medicine that has been prescribed, you know, you can't blame God for it. When you pray for a job, but you don't pre you know, prepare a resume, you don't dress appropriately, you don't go for job interviews, you're saying, I'm praying to God, you know, God will give me a job, you're sitting at home. It doesn't work out that way. God normally expects us to use the means that he provides along with the faith in him. Number seven, God blesses the work that seeks to honor him by scrupulous integrity, by scrupulous integrity. Look at the details about how Ezra was able to make sure that every amount that was brought from Babylon, every amount that was given, was accounted, verified, and accepted and said, correct, okay? That is so important in Christian ministry. There are so many, so many issues today in the Christian church where there has been mismanagement of funds, and as a result, the Lord's name is at stake. People will say, hey, this is what happens in the church. These guys are making their money. But 
Some people may also say, I'm going to stop giving. Now stop giving for ministry, stop giving for the church, you know, because I know the funds won't be used properly. No, we must be individuals who have definitely counted on, as when it comes to financial matters, high financial integrity. But the matter of integrity extends beyond financial integrity to the whole of a person's character. Hezra was a man of moral integrity. That's what we look at in the next chapter as well. And that is one reason God's hand of blessing was upon him. Number eight, God blesses the work that seeks to honor him by Christ-centered worship. The whole purpose of this exercise was so that they can go and worship. That was their concern. Their concern was not, we did a good job. Their concern was, we are here to worship you. And that's the first thing they did, isn't it? Is that our heart's cry as well? In the work that God has given to us in our daily lives, is that our heart's cry? Lord, we want to worship you with what you have given to us. In our work situation, in our ministry settings, in our homes, our heart's desires, Lord, that we want to worship you. We want to put you first in our lives. If that is our concern, then God seeks to bless those individuals who honor him by this attitude. Let me close with some application questions this evening. Number one, every Christian should have a ministry. Do you agree or disagree? Support for your belief. Number two, men should be the leaders in the church and at home. Do you disagree? Give biblical support. Number three, how can we know when it is proper or when it is wrong to use human means in addition to trusting God? Okay. Number four, in the light of Luke 16, why is financial integrity a big deal? Number five, what does it mean to glory or boast in the cross of Christ? How can we do this as individuals and as a church? Number six, fast. If not, should you fast? Do you pray before making decisions or before starting something new? Number seven, in your life, do you want to fast and pray? When can you fast and pray? If you are to fast and pray on a regular basis, who is one person who could join you or help keep you disciplined? What is the connection between using human means and trusting God for a specific objective? Number nine, so financial accountability must be maintained in any ministry context in order to ensure integrity. And finally, number 10, what steps could you begin to take this week to depend less on your own strength and more on God's path to help you through the challenges you face? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Thank you this evening for the lessons that you have taught us, even in this passage. Ezra, leadership abilities, the importance of accountability, the importance of stewardship of what you have given to us, prayer and fasting, of trusting you, hand would be upon, upon the work that you have given to us. Lord, as we identify different areas in our lives that need correction and change. 
and we pray that you would help us to make those necessary corrections. Even as these individuals accepted that responsibility that Ezra gave to them, we pray, Lord, that as you have spoken to us, we would accept those things and make it a part of us so that your hand of blessing would be upon our lives. We thank you for this time together, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.